Uh, let's get to the phone lines, and we start with James. Good morning, James. Morning, Bob. How you doing? Oh, just a beautiful morning out there. Good good rains this week, and now a beautiful day, and having to wear a long sleeve shirt this morning. That doesn't happen in May very often. No, sir. I'm, uh, we got a bright, sunshiny day out here in Guadalupe County. Yes, sir. Uh, maybe I can make some uh, Serrano chilies for my pico de gallo now, man. <laughs> out. I tell you, the, the vegetables are looking forward to a little sunshine. I never want to run the rain off. We may have some of it back next week, but sure nice to have some sunshine in between the showers. I talked with Stuart to get some advice on cutting the uh, Sudan cover crop. Right. Uh, he said, uh, let it go three or four feet and and cut it and kind of keep it uh you know young don't let it get sticky and stemmy uh, sure he said that would be your best best bet on that instead of letting it go to 10 feet and cutting it thin he's i i would totally agree with him because uh you know if you cut it before it gets to that big seed producing stage and all you can probably get three or four cuttings off of it and not only have a good cover crop but have some uh have some good hay for whatever purpose you choose to use it. The, the plan was to keep it cut and then let it overwinter and then transplant the uh, the cut flowers into it next spring, but I don't know if that's going to work or not. Well, keep in mind that Sudan, um, when, and this will, certainly won't be a problem until next fall, but uh, after a freeze, it can develop, I think it's prussic acid. You have to be real careful on what you feed it to can be toxic, especially to goats and sheep. And I think horses are on that list, too. So uh, if you're planning to use the cut um, Sudan for hay, uh, after that first freeze, you have to be kind of careful of what you feed it to. But, you know, it's uh, one day at a time. We know it's going to be something good to hold the soil in place and uh, uh, it'd be a good crop for you over the warm months. And it's going to be a long time till next fall when you make your decision what you want to do with it over the winter months. Yeah, I was I was told that uh, if you keep it cut at three or four feet, that that the that accelerates root growth. I'm sure it does. I'm sure it does. So long as we get moisture, that's always the big bugaboo about growing. In effect, an annual grass crop as opposed to uh, you know Klein grass and Bermuda grass, coastal Bermuda and things that are perennial grasses. But as long as you get water to that Sudan, it'll it'll keep going, keep producing and um, of course, the more top it has, the more roots it can produce, and uh, I would totally agree with that statement. Um, everybody's asking, everybody's asking about onions, and uh, could you give us the the lowdown on onions on uh, when to pull them and how to dry them? Well, you know, as as you well know, um, onions don't really ripen per se. You can harvest an onion at any stage. And uh, it'll be pretty darn good eating, whether it's just as a green onion or whether it's the you know biggest bulb you've ever grown. Um, the two things that I try to tell people is once the tops begin to shrivel, you might as well go ahead and pull them because they're not going to get any bigger. They're not going to get any sweeter. And I always tell people, because you're always going to have a few of them bolt and put up that seed head, just put those in one pile and plan to use them first and... Uh, uh, put your others um, in storage. Now, it's been my experience. I don't really have scientific proof of this, but from experience, I can tell you that the sweeter onions, like the 1015s, do not last the way the uh, other onions do. So I kind of, I use those old plastic 
uh, Coke crates that they used to distribute um, uh, soft drinks in because they get lots of ventilation, and I can stack them several layers deep, and I just kind of put all my 10 and 15s in, in one area and plan on using those first because I know three or four months from now they're going to start going bad, whereas my uh, whites and my uh, purple onions, uh, those things may keep 10 or 12 months. So uh, I, you know, uh, again, I think it's good to get them out of the ground, especially when we're in a wet year, because they will, in dry soil, you know, you can leave them in the ground for several weeks, but uh, wet soil, uh, they they just don't hold up as well. So I just, you know, pull them up. I don't wash them unless I'm getting ready to eat them. I just let them dry and then just kind of brush the dirt off. Same thing we do with garlic. I think you shorten the shelf life if you if you wash them too much when you take them out of the ground. And then, like I say, I just uh, I put them in a in a bin that's going to have good air circulation around it. And I can stack those crates up six eight high, and that's how I store mine. Um, they were asking me, how do I know when the when the tops are dry? Um, the old timers used to say you you can right there at the base of the tops where the where the onion is you can kind of squeeze that area and if it's kind of slimy and gushy it's not dry yet. Have you ever? <laughs> I think that's probably true. I I've never really done that in my garden. Things dry pretty quickly once that top starts folding over. By that time we're usually into quite warm weather and. Uh, and it's not but a matter of days before it gets very, very dry. I think if I were pulling them, uh, or let's say I had a mix of them, some of them that were dry, some of them that weren't, I certainly would leave the ones that weren't dry out, um, you know, until they were fully dry before I before I stacked them away, before I stored them away. But uh, I just leave the tops on mine unless they separate easily. I don't think that makes a lot of difference. I always leave them on garlic because I like to braid that garlic and hang it up. But, um, you know, on onions, uh, once the top's dry, sometimes it comes right off, sometimes it doesn't. I don't pay much attention to it. Okay, I'll just tell them to leave the tops on. That's that's what I do, and maybe if you're storing a thousand onions or something like that it's it's more important to have the space and take those tops off but uh you know if i'm <laughs> everybody i know says that onions are one of the best things i grow and and people kind of line up hoping for a free handout but uh two three hundred onions is gonna gonna pretty t- much take care of my needs and uh that's uh that's not an unreasonable number to store well i've got to have onions because i can't uh feed my addiction my pico de gallo addiction without a <laughs> we do get hooked on some of the really good stuff out there don't we thanks bob hey james it's always good to talk to you and uh oh it's always good to share information i know you already know all that but you bring up topics that i'm sure everybody else can benefit from so uh uh you wish all the ladies in your life a happy mother's day for me and um uh, i'll move along and say good morning to Kay and a happy mother's day to you oh thank you Number one, Bob, what about uh, when you uh, have the uh, blossoms come out on on celebrity tomatoes? How long before you get tomatoes, and how often should I uh, fertilize them? Well, the... um, you, You should have the little tiny tomato, if it's going to set, will be pretty obvious within four or five days. And I mean, it'll be the size of an English pea, not very big. How long it takes that to make a pickable tomato is going to depend on the temperature, the sunlight, and the temperature. So 
Um, you know, is the temperature is just the most important thing. That's that's why I repeat it twice. But uh, uh, in warm weather, from the time you see that tomato appear until the time it's going to be ready and pickable, is probably going to be about three weeks. In cooler weather, it could be six weeks. And uh, you know, as we get into the fall, when it starts cooling down, those tomatoes just seems like they stay green forever. Uh, as the weather cools off in the warmer weather, they go from being just a blush pink to full red in about two or three days. So um, you'll know if they're setting fruit within a week's time, and that's going to depend on nighttime temperatures more than anything else. But how long it takes to go from that little pea size up to your nice big uh, pound class tomato, which is what Celebrity is, uh, will all be dependent on the weather. Now, I put down a fair amount of fertilizer before I plant my tomatoes. I figure that's going to carry them for the first four to six weeks. And then once they're up to a pretty good size, once they're up to where they're blooming and starting to set fruit, then I try to hit them with a liquid uh, has to grow a spoma, whatever. I try to hit them with a liquid feed about every two weeks. Sometimes it's every three weeks with my work schedule, but uh, uh, feed them every two to three weeks if you want to really keep them vigorous and get as much production as possible. Okay, another question on cucumbers and cantaloupes. Are there are their blossoms the same? I think I've gotten my my seeds mixed up, and I don't know which is which. Well, cucumbers uh, will be a much smaller flower. Cucumbers. Um, that flower is rarely going to be over an inch, inch and a half in diameter. Uh, the cantaloupe blossom is probably going to be a good three inches in diameter. So uh, you can tell by the size of the flower, but uh, they're both curcurbits. They're both going to produce yellow flowers. They're both going to have separate male and female flowers, two different kinds of flowers on the one vine. But um, the the size will be very very noticeably different. The the cantaloupe flowers will be fully, you know, two three four times as big as the cucumber flowers will. Okay. Another question on okra is: Are there okra plants available? Or do I? I mean, I have the seed I planted, but are there plants available? If they're not, there will be very shortly. Okra is a hot weather plant, and we we have not had the kind of weather that okra likes. I haven't even planted my okra seed yet. Um, There will be plants available. I don't recall having seen any of them from the growers yet. But give us two weeks of sunshine, you will find both plants and seed widely available. But okra doesn't like it warm. Okra likes it hot and hot. It was 50-some-odd degrees at my house this morning. That's not okra weather. 85 is uh, okra weather, so be patient. It'll get here before we're really ready for it, I'm sure. Okay, thanks for all you do, Bob. You know, Thank it's you my again. pleasure. Hey, you Bye-bye. have a wonderful day. Thank you. Bye. All right, back to the phone lines. Carolyn, Lloyd, Thomas, and Eddie. Good morning, Carolyn. Good morning. I have a question for my son. Okay. He's uh, setting up beehives and uh he was wondering how to keep uh, ants out of the beehives. Uh, what, what most people do, um, there actually there are two ways to do it. A lot of people, you know, the beehives are usually raised up off the ground on four legs. A lot of people will take an empty can, an empty bucket, you know, an old uh, short coffee can or something like that, and actually have the legs sitting down into those buckets and uh, a lot of people will put something like just old motor oil or something like that in there that the ant simply can't cross the other option is to uh, take uh, the real sticky stuff called tangle foot and just put an inch wide band of that 
around each leg, uh, you know, just a little ways up off the ground so it doesn't collect too much dirt and debris, but the ants cannot crawl across that. And uh, those those are the two ways that uh, I've seen people, you know, just totally uh, insulate uh, their, their beehives from any kind of predation by ants. Okay. Uh, the other question I have is about squash. Uh, how do you mix the BT and... How often do you have to inject it? I usually just inject once in the whole season. Um, I make it fairly strong. I make up like uh, about a cup of solution at a time, and I'll put about a uh, tablespoon of the BT concentrate in about a cup of water. Okay, that should do it. And then just inject it uh, uh, when you start seeing those little uh, moths running No, I, I inject it before you see those blasted oh. little moths. I'll do it uh, oh, okay. as soon as those vines are maybe six inches long when they get up to the okay. point that the moths are likely to target them. Uh, it's real easy on the squashes that have a more hollow stem like the yellow squash. Uh, sometimes on the zucchinis, which have more of a solid stem, I'll move and inject a little, maybe two or three places up and down that stem, about an inch up from the ground, uh, kind of in that area that the that the uh, uh, squash vine borer moth usually targets. But uh, yeah. just, you know, be very careful. Um, I use a, a fairly large gauge needle, like a penicillin needle that um, I, you know, I, I, I'm never sure of the legalities of all of this, but I think you can still buy those at a drugstore without any problem. If not, you may have a doctor or veterinarian friend who, um, will let you have one of those knowing what you're using it for. Okay. I've got my tattoo me up growing and boy, that. Those moths are flying around it. Well, but don't worry I'm about your. My no, you don't. You you don't really need to inject your tatumi because the tatumi has a thin enough vine that the vine borer can't really get into it and do any damage. That's one reason some people go to tatumi is that it okay. is pretty much borer proof. I would be injecting um, any of your squash that have a larger stem, like the zucchinis, the crooknecks, the patty pans. Some of your winter squash will have a smaller stem that you don't have to worry about. The ones that have a stem as big as, um, oh, you know, those thicker, the, the thicker soda straws that you get like with a malt or a milkshake or something, if the stem mm-hmm. is that big or larger, those are the ones that I very definitely would inject with the BT. Okay, thank you very much for all your information. And it's my pleasure and a very happy Mother's Day to you and all the ladies up in Fort Worth. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for the call this morning. (laughs) Bye. Lloyd's up next. Good morning, Lloyd. Good morning, Bob. Morning, sir. Hey, I've heard heard you talk about planting sweet potatoes in the smart pots. Yes, sir. And I've I've got a couple smart pots here. I believe they're like twenty inch in diameter. Uh huh. Now I uh, use the bigger ones. I use the ones that are about five feet in diameter. Oh, okay. That makes more sense. Yeah, you could you could do it, but um, I, I you know I use uh, those ones. They might even be six feet across, but they're five or six feet across, and the sides are only about oh eight or ten inches high. And uh, they, I think they might even call those the big bag bed or something like that. And I think that's much more practical. I love the taller-sided, narrower ones for 
peppers or tomatoes and things like that. But yeah, sweet potatoes, uh, yeah, I was uh, cleaning up my garden last night when I got home and cleaning up around my two big uh, my two big flatbeds. I think it's still a little early to be planting sweet potatoes, but uh, it sure makes it easier because, as you well know, your redskins and things like that, all those potatoes form right at the base of the plant. You know right where to look for them. But those sweet potatoes, they can produce a potato several feet away from where the vine is. And this way I don't have to go searching all over the garden to find my find the tubers i know right where to look and because i'm putting a soft soil in there actually don't even use a shovel or spade i just you know fiddling just reaching down through the soil and you can kind of check on the size of uh the sweet potato and just mm, pull them out when they get to the size you want to enjoy yeah okay that makes better sense i wasn't aware they had a pot that big oh yeah yeah you know since they throw off of the roots you know the stems the vines i guess you would say and you know how you would gather many sweet potatoes but well you know in a little pot like that you could certainly use it and you know maybe put one plant in there but my bigger shallow beds i'm going to put like five or six slips in that bed and then i've got a you know just kind of a big swarm of sweet potatoes in that area and it's worked well for me for several years so um that's that's what i'll recommend to you have you ever uh, tried, uh, like, do you plant them and the slips, and then as they start growing, to cover them up, and, you know, as they grow, just keep them covered with dirt until I've, they get to the top of the pot? Or do you just fill the, the pot up with dirt to start with? I fill the pot up with dirt to start with. Now, I... I just have better luck. I root my slips in perlite and then plant them. Some people must have a greener thumb than I do because they just, you know, take that slip and stick it directly in the ground. And uh, I lose, you know, maybe half of them when I do that, when I root them in a little, you know, shallow, uh, just an old bedding plant flat is what I use. Uh, A tray of perlite, I get about 100% uh, rooting on the slips. And so uh, uh, that's how I do it. I've been very successful with it. Okay, where's the source for those pots you're talking about? Where, uh, just a, just about any nursery should have them. I know we have, I think we have them at Shades of Green unless we've sold out. I imagine Phanix has them. Because they don't weigh anything, I guess you could order them online if you don't have a good nursery near you because they cost next to nothing to mail, like I say, because they just don't weigh anything. But I think your your better nurseries uh, should certainly have them in stock. Uh, they oh, okay. are distributed by one of our local wholesalers, so every nursery, every feed store has access to them and can order them for you if you if you don't have somebody you buy from regularly. Okay. All right. All right. Well, I appreciate your information. It's my great pleasure. You get out and have a wonderful weekend, Lloyd. Appreciate the call. And uh, let's keep going here and talk to Thomas. Good morning, Thomas. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, sir. On uh, Japanese maple, do they do better in a pot or underground? Um, It depends on how good or bad your soil is. Japanese maple likes a good, rich soil. Most of us have pretty lousy soil. But uh, if you improve it, if you add a bunch of compost, uh, now all of them are going to want to grow more in the shade than they do in the sun. They are an understory tree. I personally, you know, the little dwarf forms, they're... uh, 
different varieties of uh, maple they call dissectum, acer dissectum, that have the real finely divided leaves. I think those are just prettier in a pot than they are in the ground. Now, if you go up northeast in Pennsylvania or northwest in Oregon, you'll see those things planted in the ground that are six, eight feet tall and six or eight feet wide, but they don't just, just don't do that for us here in Texas. So um, the more upright ones, your choice, pot or ground, either way. Uh, the little ones that are very short uh, tend to be much more horizontal in their growth. I think those are just prettier in pots. Feathery foliage. What's that? Uh, kind of feathery-like foliage. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I, I just think they're prettier. You can grow them either way, but I think uh-huh. they just are, show off better. They're they're better accented in that uh, you know in that pot in that container. Okay. I've got I got a bunch of uh, these uh, big blue uh, lithrope uh, plants. Yeah, Lyriope or Lyriope. My and, grandfather uh, said Lyriope. I know from the Latin it's supposed to be Lyriope, but about ninety percent of the instrument I know say Lyriope. And <laughs> yeah, big blue is big blue is a sort of medium sized one. Yes, sir. Well, I've got a bunch of them that are. Uh, I haven't been able to plant them or anything. They're, they got real root bound. Do I cut that like you do a tree? Not really. I, I, what I do is when I take him out of the pot, I, I kind of stick my fingers up in the bottom of that root ball and try to loosen it up a little bit, but, uh, they don't, you know, they don't girdle the way a tree roots will. I like to loosen them up just a little bit because I think the roots spread into the surrounding soil better. But, uh, you know, they get pretty root-bound whether you leave <laughs> them sitting around or not. They just produce a lot of roots. But like I say all I do is uh, just kind of work my fingers into the bottom of the root ball there and just kind of pull it apart, loosen it up a little bit, well, and plant it like really that. Bad. I mean, I've waited too long. To <laughs> well, you know, you could even chop them into several pieces if you wanted to, but that's really going to set them back. I, I just would uh-huh. loosen them as best you can and not worry about it. Okay. Another thing, you know, I've, I've heard you talk about those elk skin gloves. Yep. Uh, what brand? I looked online because I couldn't, can't find them around town here, but uh, there's so many different brands. Do you remember what brand you got? I've gotten one. I think it's H&H, and um, I think Wells Lamont is another one that makes a good elk skin glove. I used to always buy them from Bergman Lumber up in Bernie, and then, they had the bad manners to go out of business on me. I say that tongue in cheek because I know the owners real well and they're really enjoying retirement. But uh, lately, I've been getting a good glove uh, up in comfort at uh, Bonert's up there. But uh, if you're doing them online, I know H and H was one of the good brands, and I think uh, Wells Lamont was another. But I like the natural. I just find the kind of heavy work that I do that elk skin, ass outlast deer skin, or or cow hide either one outlasted uh-huh. about four to one I'll, I'll go through four pairs of uh, leather gloves before i go through one pair of elk skin and expect to pay about 20 bucks for a good pair of gloves but they sure are worth it right another thing real quick uh what do you think about solar power huh. you on your place or I don't. Um, there's there is a great deal of variation in quality, and there's a great deal of variation in knowledge about it. If I were to go to solar, and I may do some solar one of these days, I in my case I go with Bandera Electric because those guys know power. Uh, my friend John Kite, when he put in solar at his place. 
Uh, it was a little bit newer technology, and the first time they wired it up and turned it on, flame shot and smoke shot out of the connections, you know, where he wired it into yeah. the storage batteries. And this was supposedly a qualified electrician doing the work. So it's one of those things that everybody goes and takes a 10-hour online course, and all of a sudden they're an expert in solar. Uh, don't do that. Find somebody that's got a good track record. The quality of the panels has really improved, and it's still several year payback. Uh, it takes it takes a long time to save enough money to, uh, you know, to justify the expense of doing it. On the other hand, uh, if you've done it right, and again, I'll use John for an example. He had enough uh, enough panels and the battery storage capacity that he could uh, run everything except his air conditioner strictly on his solar power and when you live many miles out in the country and your electric service can go down for days at a time in an ice storm or you know even a few hours when it's 10 degrees outside and all uh, it's nice when your heater keeps on running and so i think i think uh solar power is is a very very good thing i think it's good for the environment in many different ways but you have to look at the individual application i know that's that's a long answer to a short question but uh uh don't respond to one of these guys you know with a robo dialer on your phone trying to sell you solar talk to a company oh, that a lot of those, yeah yeah talk to a company that knows um, that knows and has a lot of experience in it because uh, it's like all forms of electricity. I know old Ricky Ware used to say, if you can't see it, don't trust it. He said he, he never trusted electricity. And my gosh, I've seen two uh, high voltage wires touch in a high windstorm and the bang, I mean, that looks like the sun. You simply, that harmless looking little wire has yeah. enough power enough current in it to fry you instantly so um there are a lot of people out there selling it that shouldn't be so uh if you go with a good company if you're willing to accept that it may take eight to twelve years before you really start getting your money back uh, i think i think for rural people it's especially good because it gives you some energy independence in town uh it's your choice well, Bob, I'm, I think I'm too old for that, you know. <laughs> you know, it's it's like I say, some of the some of the folks that I've known who lived longest were orchid growers who were making their own hybrids, many different varieties of orchids. When you make a cross, you may wait six to ten years before you see the first blooms. And I always said those guys, like my old buddy Rodney Wilcox-Jones, that lived to 108 up in upstate New York, and I know Rod was just absolutely certain he was going to wait and see those little seedlings bloom and i think he probably added 20 years to his life that way so an optimistic person who is as active as you are hey don't don't write yourself off <laughs> you're going to be around the... <laughs> i've heard that lie but you know an active gardener who is as my dermatologist says don't just avoid the landmines don't do anything stupid and uh you're going to outlive these couch potatoes by uh uh, by a and wide I, margin. Let me, so, uh, let me interject one thing sure. about electricity. You know how people are going to these electric cars? Yeah. Okay, well, you don't you don't pay any gas tax, right, because you don't use any gas. Right. Well, guess what? In Illinois, now 
the rest of electric car, they charge you $1,000 just to register the damn thing. Well, it's, yeah, they yeah. there are a lot of good. questions, but... It's, you know, and and a, a battery is basically a bomb. A battery is a storage of a huge amount of power, and if done properly, I look at the lithium-ion batteries that I use nowadays in my power tools and things like that, uh-huh. and uh, those things contain as much energy as, you know, a huge amount of explosives. So they've got to be made properly. They've got to be handled properly. You don't drop them. They're not going to blow up, but you're sure going to ruin a $150 battery if you bang it too hard on the ground. That's why a lot of carpenters won't use the battery-operated tools. But anyway, we're getting off way off on another subject. Uh, Electricity is a great thing, but remember that electric power had to come from somewhere. So I guess if you got your battery powered and you're recharging off your solar panels you're about as environmentally friendly as you can be thomas so anyway let me know what you decide to do and uh what you decide to do on your solar well thanks a lot for your time i have a lot of respect for your your opinion well you're you may be somewhat misguided but i'll help you in every way i possibly can and i'll always tell you the truth so get out and have a good day be kind to the ladies in your life all right one line open grab it if you like you know the number 210-599-5555 i say good morning eddie uh, good morning, Bob. Morning, sir. Hi. I was uh, looking for a suggestion on a type of plant to plant in my backyard. It, it's really shaded, but I'm I'm looking for something. We just like a natural barrier. Uh, I'm sorry. You just cut out for a second there. You're looking for something that will grow quickly to form a natural barrier. Yeah, yeah, just like along a fence, maybe some type of uh, ivy or vine or something. Okay. Uh, but it is in a really shaded area as well. Okay, is it like real deep shade, or is it bright enough to cast a shadow? Would you call it bright shade? I would say bright shade. Okay. The fastest growing uh, good quality vine that you could plant out there would be Confederate jasmine, also known as star jasmine. You're seeing a lot of it around town. White blooms right now, very, very fragrant. That plant, if you plant a one-gallon plant that's 12 inches tall in the ground, by the middle of summer, it'll be all the way to the top of a six- or seven-foot fence. If you need to go even higher than that, uh, you can just extend the post up a little bit and just you know pull some wire, pull some nylon twine or something like that. And uh, it will, I mean, it will go up another two feet above the fence very, very quickly. So that would be by far my first choice. You could also consider... Um, and is this a wooden fence or what's the fence made out of? Uh, no, it's like a metal paneling, two by four paneling. Yeah, uh, Confederate jasmine is going to be the one that I would choose in the shade like that. Okay, and then as far as spacing for planting them, because it's about <laughs> fifty feet area. Yeah, ideally, um, put them about eighteen to twenty-four inches apart. Um, if you're in a big hurry and want to spend a little extra money, you could plant them closer. It wouldn't hurt anything. If you're a very patient person, you could spread them out four or five feet apart. But uh, most people that are looking for a privacy barrier want it yesterday. And so if you'll space them about 18 to 24 inches, and don't worry about buying the bigger three-gallon or five-gallon plants. This stuff grows so quickly I'd rather see you for the same money. I'd rather see you buy four one-gallon plants than one three- or five-gallon plant and uh, get them in the ground and just let them take off. Okay, and as far as watering, should I 
water them frequently, or, I mean, we've been getting a lot of rain. <laughs> right. We haven't gotten a lot of soaking rains, but we have gotten some. It, what I always tell people is there's no such thing as too much water, but there's too often. So when you water, water them very thoroughly. When the soil right at the base of the plant is dry about a knuckle deep, it's time to water again. At first, you're going to be watering them every couple of days. Once those plants are established, it's going to be once every two to three weeks. So they're not big water users, but when you first set them out, their roots are confined to the same size as that plastic pot, so you're going to have to water a little more frequently. Okay, great. I appreciate the help, Bob. No real bugs to worry about. Uh, If we get a winter when it goes below 15 degrees, you'll get a little bit of freeze damage, but thankfully that doesn't happen very often here. So uh, go out and get them planted and enjoy. Great. I appreciate the help. It's always a pleasure. Thank you, sir. Elizabeth's up next. Good morning, Elizabeth. Good morning. Good morning. Happy Um, Mother's Day. Thank you. I have a question on, um, I would like to grow an avocado tree and a lemon tree, but I want to grow them by seed. Um, How do 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 I get started? Why do you want to grow them from seed? Um, I want to put them in the ground, and I I don't want to be having to take them in and out. Well, that doesn't make any difference. For storage, for storage. That doesn't make any difference whether they're, you know, from a seed or from a plant. A seedling is no more cold hardy than the plant that you buy in the nursery that's already up and growing. So that that's not a reason to plant them from seed. Uh, get the cold hardiness, you, you simply want to buy the best variety you can. And the reason I bring that up is if you plant a plant from seed with an avocado or a lemon tree, it may be 10 years before that tree is mature enough to produce avocados or lemons. If you get a grafted plant, it can have lemons on it the first year. So um, you can certainly grow them from seed, but it's just like an animal. An animal can't reproduce until it reaches a certain physiological age. And plants are the same way. They have to mature before they can produce. And it's going to be a long wait to see your first fruit if you're growing things from seed. Whereas if you get a grafted plant, that wood is in effect already physiologically mature when it is grafted onto the rootstock. So you can see, you know, you'll see fruit almost immediately. Now, in the case of avocados, it's important that you get one of the varieties that we call uh, the Mexican varieties of avocados because they're a little more cold hardy. Here in San Antonio, it would be very rare to get a freeze bad enough to really damage them. Now, the first year, they're probably going to need protection because when you start out from a seed or from a plant, either one, as long as that bark is smooth, that tree still could be hurt by a hard freeze. So um, regardless of how you go, the first year, you're probably going to need to protect it if we have severe cold. Once it starts getting that rougher bark, you're only going to have to protect it in an extreme winter. So be sure you're getting them one of the Mexican varieties, Mexicola, Joy. Uh, there are lots of different ones. Opal, half a dozen different ones are available out there. So just be sure you get a Mexican avocado. In the case of okay. the... Uh, now, the where ca- do I get those? Uh, many good nurseries will have them. I know they have okay. them at Phoenix. I know we have them at Shades of Green. I think Rainbow Gardens probably has them. Um, be prepared to pay 40 50 bucks for a plant in a five-gallon container. Uh, but they're nice plants, and I know a couple we planted had avocados the first year on them. So 
Um, just just recognize they will be cold hardy, but first year you're going to have to give them some protection. Now, with okay. lemons, by far the best lemon variety is one which is called Myers, M-E-Y-E-R-S. They're all going to say improved Myers, but don't worry about that because every one of the every Myers out there is the improved variety, and they are naturally cold hardy down to about 26 degrees. Below that, it matters not whether it's from a seed or as a plant. You're going to have to cover them uh, or bring them in. Uh, many people, because the lemon makes a fairly good size bush, as it were, uh, many people just cover them outside. And in San Antonio, we rarely have to cover more than three or four or five times in a winter, which is not a real big deal when you consider that it may give you 100 or 150 of the thin-skinned, sweetest, juiciest lemons you've ever seen in your life. Now, there are other lemons out there, Eureka and Ponderosa and some of the others. I don't think they're as cold-hardy as the Myers, so I would strongly suggest you look for uh, a Myers lemon. And uh, like I say, you'll only have to protect it in extremely cold weather, and uh, it'll sure reward you with lots of good fruit. Okay. And um, do they sell any of these, like, uh, like in a grocery store, so that I can get a seed? Um, you will have trouble finding a, a Myers lemon. Now, if you go to natural grocers or go to Whole Foods, you have a better choice of finding them. The Myers is just so thin skin and juicy, it's harder to ship. I do see them occasionally in HEB. And, um, okay. but, uh, if you just simply look around your neighborhood, I'll bet you'll find somebody with a Myers lemon. <laughs> Because there's so many people growing them out there. I'll bet you can find a friend that has a Myers lemon that will happily uh, either give you some lemons or at least give you some seeds off of those lemons because uh, they are so common and and so easily grown. But just realize if you grow that uh, Myers lemon from a seed, and it's easy to do, just plant your seed about half an inch deep in fairly good potting soil. Virtually every seed will sprout and grow. But then sit back and relax because it's going to be eight or ten years before you see the first lemon. Okay, and then do I need some like companion plants plants to encourage pollination no, for these two? No, they're they're self fertile. Okay, so these are not the kind that need that. Okay. Thank you very much. Good luck with it. Thank you for the call. All right, next two callers are Ramiro and Michael and Ramiro's up first. Good morning, sir. Uh good morning, Bob. Good morning. Uh, I had a question regarding the uh I had applied some beneficial nematodes to my yard. Yes, sir. Uh, be- before all these heavy rains, should I be concerned about the heavy rain? No, for them. That nematode moves in a film of water, and given these good rains, it's made it possible for them to really spread widely through the soil. It's the best thing that could have happened. Uh, I mean, you don't want to be in Houston with water standing 12 inches deep on your yard. Yeah, that would be a concern, but for a lot more than nematodes. Kind of rains we've had here, um, perfect for your nematodes. It'll make them even that much more effective. Well, I was uh, concerned because I do... uh have a gentle slope in my yard and the water does run off. No, that's not going to be a problem. Once that nematode gets on, it gets immediately down in the soil and um, they're not going to wash away. Okay. Uh, Also, uh, when I applied the nematodes, um, I added some uh, ice to the water. Was that uh, okay? Mm, Yep. It doesn't, not really necessary, but you certainly didn't hurt anything. Okay. Uh, and I and they come in a sponge, right? And uh, do I 
was, was are you supposed to just drop the sponge, the sprayer in the water, or are you, do you need to squeeze it out? Or well, we put it in the water, let it sit for a few minutes, and then squeeze it out. Uh, I mean, you've got a million nematodes minimum on that sponge, so lots of them just swim out naturally. But I just take my thumb and kind of squeeze it out, rub it a little bit to be sure I've gotten at least 999,000 of them out of the sponge and uh, into the water. Not absolutely necessary but uh, i think you certainly get more of them out of the sponge and into your spray solution when you do wash it out or you know rub it a bit or squeeze it out however oh, okay because uh my wife was saying that uh if i squeeze them out i might crush them and no. i said oh, kind of <laughs> I, I doubt that no so i tiny. uh yeah it that's not a concern you're going to be gentle enough you're not going to bother them i guess if you really tried to uh you <laughs> might damage a couple of them but uh squeeze your wife not your <laughs> don't don't worry about your nematodes so they're going to be fine Okay, very good. I appreciate that, Bob. Thank you. Hey, it's my pleasure. I appreciate you. Thank you, Romero.